0: My purpose is to connect children and animals. I've had students tell me, well, he's my best friend. Charm's my best friend.
1: You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 27, part 2 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and welcome back. Today we'll be hearing part two of my conversation with Jennifer Gans, a school psychologist who has a career where she has married humane education with school psychology work. If you haven't already listened to part one, I suggest you go and do so right now. In part one, we talked a lot about Jennifer's background and how she became a school psychologist, about how she adopts rescued greyhounds, and about how her dog Charm is perfectly fitted to work with children after her previous dog was a little more challenging. We talked about Jen's continuing education programs as well as Charm's ongoing training programs. And we started to talk about her students and the challenges that they face in their lives. Jen has been so kind to share her experiences with us, and I just wanted to mention that she's sharing these as an individual and not in any official capacity or as any representative of an educational institute or school or district. I'm so excited for us to continue talking with Jen today and hear more about the work she does with her students, both generally and how she connected with her students during COVID. We also talk about the more than 20 dogs that Jen has fostered for rescues in the Baltimore area, and Jen will tell us about the social club that she started for hound dogs in the Baltimore area, and why this was important to her. Before we get started, I wanted to give you a little bit of background on the Project Mickey organization that Jen and I are going to talk about. Project Mickey is an eight-week curriculum that helps children build positive attitudes towards animals. The goals of Project Mickey are to teach students about the needs of pets, how to remain safe around dogs. They teach the basics of clicker training and positive reinforcement training. And one of the main goals is really to build empathy. And I like how they want to strengthen children's vocabulary for expressing their feelings. And so during the eight-week program, they bring in different guests and different dogs. And many of the dogs that brought in have elements of their story being about abuse or neglect or discrimination, such as breed discrimination. And so they actually talk to the children about the effects that these situations have on the people, on the animals, and on the community. In fact, the program of Project Mickey was actually named after a puppy that had been brought into the Jasmine's House Rescue, that had been abused and the dog ended up passing away from its injuries. Uh, This was back in the 2011-2012 time period. And so Project Mickey was created in conjunction with the Jasmine's House organization. And so I always commend them and any organization that tries to use a a painful and heart-wrenching situation and try to turn it into something more positive. Jen and I are gonna talk about some of the special people and some of the special dogs that have helped with Project Mickey over the years. And in fact, After the time Jen and I recorded our interview, but before the time I'm getting ready to air it, another special Project Mickey dog passed away, which was Kate Callahan's dog, Minnie. And Jen sent me this message about Minnie. Minnie was a dream with my students, and even the most fearful child was drawn to her and less afraid. So we certainly send our condolences out to Kate and all of those affected by the loss of Minnie, which is probably a lot of people because she was a really special dog. I really do feel so fortunate being a part of this Baltimore animal welfare community where I get to meet amazing people and amazing dogs. So let's get started with Jennifer Gans. And so then we've touched on COVID a couple times. So yes, I have to ask like the challenges of trying to teach, you know, everybody by Zoom and who even has internet access. And I, I just can't even imagine what that must have looked like for you. <laughs>
0: yeah, it was uh, it was definitely um, an experience. It got easier as we went along. Charm, I actually started a TikTok page for him. One of my uh, colleagues was like, John, Charmy is a TikTok. And I was like, oh my gosh Kate you are so right Charm needs a TikTok
1: so we (laughs) will definitely have a link to that in the show notes yeah
0: I go through uh, phases so I I have to admit I recently took about a two month time out um, but I have come back because I realize it's really important to the students I was in the schools this summer doing some STEM works that's science technology engineering math and we uh, incorporated Charm into that and the kids were very excited to know about the TikTok so I realize I've got to do a better job of keeping that updated. Uh, but that was one of my tools. I also realized I could reach more kids with, like, drop-in times. You know, there are kids that see me for uh, therapy, basically, essentially, uh, that's mandated maybe 30 minutes a week or maybe 30 minutes a month, depending on the child. Um, there are others that just have a relationship that stop in to see me or you know i go into the classroom and work with them but i realized it was very hard to get children at a certain time on the zoom you know, every week. So I had a drop-in lunch time, and it was lunch with Charm and Friends. And so any kid could drop into that on Zoom, and we practiced positive training methods. We talked about body language. We talked about how we were feeling. They could ask me questions about their pets at home. And I realized I had much better luck getting kids for that Um, than I did if I said, well, at 10.30 on Thursday, that's your time. Right, right. you know, conveniently (laughs) I would go and, you know, I'd go into the classroom, they're not there. I'd call the home, you know, no one answers. So it's like trying to hunt kids down. But when I found, like, fun ways to engage them, you know, I mailed kids clickers. And so then they were clicking from home when Charm was doing things as a form of, you know, training. Uh, So they were learning how to click or train from their homes and charm was on the screen and you know we would talk about when to click and did they click at the right time Um, and then I was giving the treat I think probably one of the coolest thing was that we started something and we had done this before when we were in the school but we was so cool over zoom we did pet shout outs so all the kids could hold up their pet to the camera or if they wanted to just talk about their pet it was a time for us to express gratitude so it's kind of like life is really hard right now but we're all at home with our amazing furry friends and so the light in in children's eyes when they could show their cat on the screen and tell us why they love that cat so much or the silly things the cat does, or, you know, I think this cat's mad. I'm here every day. You know, they wish I was back at school or, or, you know, the cat's in my lap all day, every day when I'm on zoom. And so that was really a fun way for kids to connect and to still feel, that like we were all connected together Um, and for those that didn't have pets i would tell them they could shout out a neighbor's pet they could shout out grandma's pet they could shout out charm you know any animal that had made an impact in their lives and helped them to feel happier or or gratitude or or just um maybe experience covid and and the challenges a little bit easier (laughs) right and so do a lot of did a lot of your students have pets at home they do yeah quite a few have cats i would say uh some have dogs also i've have kids with guinea pigs one boy uh did an amazing actually two two of my middle school students uh did an amazing job of helping to educate younger children about their guinea pigs oh wow because they both had guinea pigs and so I tried to do that, too, or I partnered older students with younger students. Just got very, very creative. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. At work, we had a big case that was going for trial. This was right before COVID happened. And our whole network collapsed, basically. We had no network and so I was trying to like recreate everything um you know what did I what had I attached in an email you know that I had the document from an email since I couldn't get it and and I was always joking about trying to do my job with like one hand tied behind my back or both hands maybe tied behind my back and so that's just what I'm imagining this whole COVID experience (laughs) was is you're trying to think of all these other ways you know yeah it's like how do you think outside of the box
0: and uh you know for Project Mickey I had to think well i they don't have an animal live, you know, most of our traditional project Mickey sessions involves a therapy animal and their handler who is typically part of a community organization or, you know, works in the industry, you know, uh, and so the kids could be engaging with that animal hands on. And so it was really interesting to think, well, how do I do this virtually? Uh, so I shifted a lot of our focus and we looked at, uh, careers. So we did, um, you know, what kind of careers can you have with animals? Because especially for the older kids, they're not aware. They think like veterinarian, but they don't know there's all these other roles. So I had, a uh, you know, people from the SPCA, that Maryland SPCA come on and talk about different types of things that, uh, different roles within that organization, or, you know, we watch some videos. I looked for different videos. Many of my students are students of color. So I looked for, uh, professionals in roles that they could see someone that looks like them and, and feel like wow that's what I want to do or that's you know unfortunately a lot of people in animal rescue it's still a very uh, white field I would say and so uh being able to bring in uh different people and different people with uh I guess ex- different expertise um through videos or we did have some guests that came on and would connect with us kind of like an interview format
1: that's really fun. <laughs> like, that's a really cool idea, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was.
0: Uh, it, it got to be kind of, you know, we had a routine going, so we always start with check ins with how everybody's feeling. We talk about how the animals are feeling. So people might put their cat up to the screen and we would say oh what do the cat's ears look like what does the tail look like you know how do you think that cat's feeling right now oh that cat looks sleepy and then a kid might say I'm sleepy too and you know so we we got into a bit of a groove uh with how the lessons ran Um, and with my middle schoolers they just took it to a whole nother level they were like oh, okay, we want to keep going with this. So they became more of the leaders. They invited more peers in from other classes to join them, and they actually put together this whole club called Animal Club. Oh, my God, I love it. And it culminated with them teaching a lesson to a group of elementary schoolers, all via Zoom and then we also did an art contest with barks the animal shelter uh in baltimore to try to help uh get more um publicity around bark's new location right. because they had yeah. moved into the cherry hill neighborhood but many people in cherry hill didn't know that uh, they were even there because it occurred during covid
1: right so i would imagine it's a really special and meaningful part of your job that you get to collaborate with all these other people like that in Baltimore's animal welfare community and I know with Project Mickey you've had a lot of really special people and dogs that you've gotten to bring in over the years.
0: I'd really like to express gratitude to all of our dedicated Project Mickey volunteers and animal ambassadors past and present. You know we couldn't do this important work without each one of them and as we realize, we're getting all, coming upon almost a decade of of humane education, Um, many of our original ambassadors, uh, in fact, most of them have left us and gone on to the Rainbow Bridge. Um, And in just the past couple of months, our ambassador, Kaida, who participated in the pilot lessons and helped to dispel myths about pit bulls, and also the gentle riff, uh, who Heidi describes as the goodest boy, who is great at reading kids' body language um, have both left this earth, so you know we want to honor their service to our students in the community and also send condolences to their families. We will never forget these special souls.
1: Oh, that's so beautiful and such a touching tribute to so many special dogs and their special people too. Now, do a lot of your students have pets? Do you get to hear these, like, amazing stories of kids talking about how much their own pets mean to them? Definitely, definitely. Sometimes
0: it's not even a big story. It's like a couple words, you know. Well, he's my best friend. (laughs) You know, like, well, duh. Or, you know, I I love a recent student I was working with over the summer. Uh, I gave him a clicker one week because he was asking me questions about his dog. And he said, well, he's always got his feet in the air you know I said we'll start clicking when all four feet are on the ground and uh so we talked about clicker training and he came back the next week to me and said well this is working but this isn't working so then I gave him some more strategies of how to uh, get the clicker paired a little bit more uh like priming the clicker so that 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 uh treat and the And the click kind of connect in the dog's mind. And so we talked more about that. And so I was able to kind of see how his relationship with his dog was building through the skills that he was learning. So that's pretty cool, too. Um, I've had uh, people who have gotten excited that they want to start walking their cat on a leash. Um, Not to say that works for every cat, but it's really exciting when um, a child realizes, oh, that pet that's just kind of sleeping around the house i can do some of these same things with my pet
1: at home you know (laughs) seeing that connection and uh, i love seeing some of the videos you said you were doing like a science the stem program over the summer but you were still finding ways to work the animals into that and and how you can work the animals into pretty much everything um uh, i i just loved that idea so what were some of the things you were doing in the stem program
0: Well, I've never done STEM before, and I'm not a science teacher, so I had to really think about it. Um, I was trying to first think of, like, what could they measure that he could do? And I thought about, well, running or, you know, uh, duration, so how long he holds a sit or how long it takes him to get from the... uh, end of one tunnel to the like one end to the other um I didn't want to put charm in any kind of a position he would be uncomfortable with so I had to kind of think about well what does charm like to do you know uh that they would enjoy so what we did was um after going over we always 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 start with safety and body language um so after we covered those uh concepts we I had the children start making predictions about what charm would and wouldn't do do you think that he will catch a tennis ball do you think that he will press a button do you think that he'll um do a handstand with his back (laughs) feet in the air (laughs) and so we made our predictions yes that was you charm he's looking at us now did you know we were talking about you hi and uh so the kids made predictions and then he came back the next week and they tried them out. And it was really interesting. We, you know, I said, okay, well, I've got treats. You guys can come one up. Like, how are we going to do this? So the kids would work together to try to go through this list of, uh, different things we had come up with and they had made predictions for. <laughs> That's really cute. Uh, and then the last week the kids then put those activities together to create an obstacle course and so we did time that we looked at well how fast do you think charm can get through the tunnel do it down play the piano <laughs> hit the bell you know weave through the cones or whatever it was and that was would I sent you the videos up would it was the coolest thing because I have never strung any of those behaviors together before he's done each of those things in isolation so I honestly had no idea if he was going to let the kids work him through this obstacle course without ever having done anything like this I mean he had done the tunnel and the hula hoop, and all these things by itself, but never together, Um, and that was probably one of the most fun days I've ever had with him in a school setting, because it was the most engaged group, and I had, I think, three different sets of kids, so the obstacle course got changed multiple times, you know, there were different students leading him through it, and every kid that tried was able to get him through, but they all work together. So I would say, okay, who's going to be the hula hoop person? Who's going to stand at this end of this? So each person had a job, and it allowed for kids that maybe didn't have the confidence to be the person saying, "Okay, charm, here we go," and being the handler. But they actually, each person that wanted to be involved could be, even if it was just to sit in time from the beginning to the end. So we were able to talk about how learning is a science you know what motivates him and everyone said the treats (laughs) I said yeah would he have done all these things without treats he does not catch a ball and so kids were very interested to see this uh this guy will literally play the piano but he will not catch a ball (laughs) and uh, I had to think about that I said well you know he's never gotten a treat for bringing a ball back oh
1: interesting yeah penny would be like i'm not catching a ball (laughs) whereas nino lives for his ball like (laughs) oh my gosh well i have this beautiful binder here that you brought where you have different notes that kids have written you and i just love these you know we have thank you charm we have all these different little notes like great job um I, you know, Charm, you're such a sweetheart, you know, all these, you know, thank you for bringing Charm to school, I had a lot of fun. Um, I just, oh my gosh, and the drawings, and I just thought this was so, like, what a just beautiful memento that you have for yourself. You know, thank you for bringing charm to our class, and thank you for letting me see the kitten. Good luck to you.
0: Oh yeah, because we'll bring in other animals too. I can't wait for you know life to be back to normal again because we're so blessed to partner with like Barks has brought in kittens and. Um, but yeah, that, that book is, it helps me to stay focused with my purpose. You know, my purpose is to connect children and animals. And what I find is that sometimes kids connect with him way easier than they connect with me. It might just be five minutes with him and they feel a bond. Uh, I remember a student when I had elementary school and, uh, you know, Caitlin and Caitlin brought Knox and I had a student say to me. Nox just looked right into my soul. Oh my god. <laughs> and and Nox does. If you know Nox, Nox does look right into your soul. Especially if you have children that maybe have had bad experiences with humans. Or maybe they... You know, struggle with school. And so they're not always the kid that raises their hands or connects with other adults. Um, Maybe they've seen five different school psychologists over their school career. So the thought of meeting a new one is like, oh no. But when I have charm, I'm suddenly super cool kids want to see me they want to walk down the hallway with charm they you know I'm actually probably a lot of people just call me the lady with the dog (laughs) and I'm okay with that Uh, because he's kind of working his own connection his his own ability to be there in a non-judgmental empathetic safe connection and, and space with them and it's just really beautiful so that book it, it just reminds me
1: of, of my purpose. It's so, it's so beautiful. And I love seeing the notes and the drawings and that's so, so special. So what will life look like this fall? Uh, are you back in school?
0: Well, <laughs> as of today, school is set to be in person. So Charm will be back with me one or two days a week. I also have a foster dog so she will continue to be a part of the journey until she gets adopted and then I will have another foster dog and um, I'm really hoping to expand I've got a lot of people that would love to have uh, more experiences with dogs in their own schools And as I told you beforehand, the tricky part is on the school level. So getting the administrator to buy in, having the people with the knowledge within the school to help, uh, because I can't be there to be leading the lessons. But I do have several people uh, that have either run a unit before for project mickey or have been uh, taking classes that i've taught for uh, school professionals that are really interested and i know they have the background in animals so i'm hoping that we will be in at least uh one or two schools each uh, other than my own schools in the fall and the spring you know but it's going to be tricky uh, some I know from working within this field and talking to people, there seems to be some anxiety around animals in schools post-COVID. Maybe it just sounds like an additional thing right, that people right. don't want to. Yeah, but what we find is that you know animals in schools actually, when done ethically and appropriately, and we have trained animals and trained handlers, you know the the well-being. Of humans, uh, even the focus level in the classroom is increased. Uh, Children are suddenly paying more attention. They're more engaged. They're more empathetic. Kids stop by my room just to ask if they can fill his water bowl. You know, to have a 16 year old boy stop by and say, Hey, Miss Gans, I just oh charms here hi charm um, does he need water can I can I put some water in there and it's it's the most beautiful thing it brings out the kindness and love and compassion in, in other humans I will be very busy with my schooling myself but you know I'm really hoping over time to uh, find ways to make this a uh, something that I'm isn't a something on the side, I guess. And is more of my main focus because I think there is just a power in having animals and children connected that, and even adults, the teachers too, you know, people love seeing him. I've have, have teachers that tell me I, Thursday's my favorite day of the week because <laughs> charm comes.
1: Do you ever have any teachers who are very hesitant about him or even any students,
0: I guess? Mm -hmm, Definitely. And he's a big guy. He's a greyhound. So we talk about that. There's a one teaching assistant who is often in the classroom when I go in uh, because I go into certain classrooms. So she used to have to have like a whole barrier around her and be in the back (laughs) of the room. But uh, post COVID when I was going in, she got to be uh, as close as just a few feet away with no barrier and I was not even holding onto the leash. So I we decided next time she's definitely going to touch him. <laughs> but we just I meet them where they're at. So if children are uncomfortable, I never drop the leash in the classroom until I know that children are feeling comfortable. If I have children that are less comfortable, I may use the waist leash. Or maybe we'll adjust seating. Um, I never force any kid to come up and out of their seat uh, to do anything with him. Some kids want to. Some kids are ready to, can I shake? Can I have him do this? I want to get him to sit. I want to get him to spin. And that's great too, but I just try to meet each child where they're at so that they can have a learning experience that's beneficial for them and doesn't cause any additional stress or or trauma.
1: I was just thinking there was one time that, Pauline and I were doing a humane ed visit with Ruby and uh, I think it was like an after school program, but we were in a school and we were being escorted by the teacher that was bringing us in and another teacher was coming down the hallway and clearly did not expect to see a dog and she screamed and literally jumped out of her shoes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: i've definitely seen that happen um in fact i had a beautiful experience this summer with two girls that were helping uh they were doing what's called youth work so it's like a paid internship right and so when i agreed to help with the stem program they said well can you also work with the youth works kids and i said well sure you know we can do something a little less formal with them so they just would come in and visit with charm and i had one girl tell me he is so nice i didn't know because i had just seen him in the hallway before i've never interacted with him before um so i think the more people meet the dog or i'll also hear other kids going oh no that 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 dog's cool he's fine you can pet that dog you know um one thing i will never tell anyone is that he doesn't bite because every animal can bite every human can bite so if people say does he bite Uh, my answer is well he can bite you know um i've never seen him bite but i always tell them we only bring dogs into schools that have gone through special training and the humans have gone through special training as well but uh yeah i mean it's a mix um I definitely, it also depends on the dog. So sometimes people have a fear of smaller dogs. And so if we have a smaller dog come, they might not be fearful of him, but maybe they had a bad experience uh, in the past. Many of our fears are linked to our own experiences. So if someone's been chased by a dog or uh, an ankle their ankle was bit, or you know, grandma had a really mean dog. <laughs> I was chased by
1: a German Shepherd when I was a kid, uh, repeatedly, and yeah, I always have a wonky eyebrow or is German Shepherd still? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I remember my mom telling me uh, certain dog breeds were mean, um, or those don't don't go near that dog on the corner. You know, so we have biases also that are in our heads. Many people, you know, there's a million biases around pit bulls, we know, um, which is there are so many dogs that we could consider uh, a pit bull in Baltimore. So um, we talk a lot about that, um, which is why we really like many of our dogs are rescued animals um, so that we can talk about uh, the misconceptions or you know that they've been through difficult things too you know sometimes a dog's behavior if it is aggressive is in response to or it's almost always in response to their own experiences also so how were they treated and people as well yeah yeah definitely
1: have you ever had any students tell you something about dogs that like concerned you <laughs> like uh I, again, I'm remembering one time we did a humane education event at a school, and all of the kids were telling us how there had just been a dog fighting bust across the street from the school, and, and actually, you know, the school administrators confirmed that, that that had happened, and we were like, oh, my God. And this, that was why they had wanted us to come to talk about pit bulls in a different way wow that's amazing that that
0: school did that uh, in terms of inviting you uh i i have heard stories and um, i have had other kids come and disclose things to me before too like um you know so and so had harmed a kitten or um and i think about um one of my mentors in this work who has done a lot of work with children who have abused animals and and uh you know, this is part of the learning process is giving them a positive experience and and helping them to see the other side. So instead of like shying away from those experiences, I try to move, move towards them and understand them a little bit. So, um, a lot of times it is based on misconceptions. I didn't realize that when we talk about nine lives of a cat, Mm. that sometimes people think that that means we can test it out let's see what could happen and I so I have to kind of use an educational perspective but let's talk about that you know animals have feelings they have they can physically feel they can emotionally feel um and so I think the more we provide education and positive experiences hopefully we can reshape some of that uh if there is a negative perspective, um, or if, you know, unfortunately if we find out that someone has harmed an animal.
1: I hope you're having more good days than those kind of days. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah.
0: I, I think I come home from work. I can't think of a time that charm wasn't with me that I didn't leave feeling just so at peace because, uh, it feels like I'm living my purpose, you know. Um, it feels like I'm making a difference. And but before I had animals working with me, before I met Heidi, or well, I knew her, but I, I wasn't working with her yet. You know, I saw so many sad faces and so many tears and so many, so much anger. And uh, now I can see smiles and happiness and and joy. And people, I've had students tell me, well, he's my best friend, Charm's my best friend. You know, high schoolers tell me this, like, Mm -hmm. sincerely look at me and say, well, he's my best, you know, we're best buddies. Um, And they feel a connection, and I have to remember that that's special for them, like, it's outside of me, you know? Um, I really didn't have anything to do with it other than maybe uh, introducing them to one another and, and holding a safe space for them to
1: engage in. Oh my gosh, I I don't think all of us can say that we feel like we're living our purpose, and so I think that's really special and and a beautiful thing. And anything with connecting, you know, kids and animals, and and the kids that that we see and the hard lives that they're having that we can't even imagine, and and to be able to bring animals and see the connection and the peace that that can bring, it's been really powerful experience just in the times I've done it just in a volunteer capacity so you know I really wanted to hear hear what it's like building you know intentionally building a life around around that yeah well I'm excited I'm
0: excited to see where the future takes me and and how I can continue to uh, support children and animals and bring people together with animals and just bring more happiness and joy and and contentment there's so much pain and so much stress in our lives Uh, but our animals they have this beautiful amazing ability to kind of bring us back down
1: (laughs) absolutely I mean I know you're already you work you're doing the work, you're doing two extra programs. We only briefly mentioned so far that you also foster <laughs> and volunteer, you know, with Be More Dog and, and other organizations on, on top of that. So how did you get started fostering and what made you wanna, you know, open up your home and, and your life in that way? Well it all was kind of at like the same time.
0: So losing Mako um, right before this this workshop at the same workshop that uh, Heidi Trizatti presented. There were therapy animals there. One of the people there was Cindy with mittens, oh. and uh, and so Cindy introduced me to ARF, and ARF is a local uh, rescue group for cats and dogs. And so I started with fostering Finnegan, my cat. He was a foster fail. <laughs> Sounded like it. <laughs> Though I hate that term because I certainly didn't fail. Um, right. He stayed with me, um, and then I realized, you know, I don't have any children of my own, and I have this big heart, and I, I really wanted to be able to be there for other animals. So I got involved in fostering dogs, um, and I've now I think I've had 20 are 21. They, they haven't all been with me for the whole time. Like when I count that number, like the shortest was like a 24 hour, you know, temp fuster for a very sick dog who now is living a beautiful life. I wanted to be able to share my love and share my home. It, it can be a little bit lonely when you don't have children or, or other humans. So ha- being able to have a a home of of animals really brings me so much joy and and it it uh helps my heart as much as you know, they help me
1: right.
0: a, as much as I help them.
1: Right. That's uh, that's so wonderful. I I always have this dream of of doing more fostering, but I feel like in our current setup it might may or may not be possible we had one one uh foster one time and i i always have this dream of doing a an episode called uh dog mom fails <laughs> <laughs> and um the story of us trying to foster a dog would be in that dog mom failure because <laughs> <laughs> it was not a good we just did everything wrong and, and, and so yeah I mean,
0: kind of learn as you go you know and you evolve you know now i i'm so much more savvy with my fosters but it was like trial and error in the beginning you know the, the organization will give you guidelines and, and suggestions and and rules that they have but then when it's just you and those different animals and you're trying to uh get you know the Everyone living in harmony. Uh, I'm very fortunate that my two, Finnegan and Charm, uh, Finnegan the Cat and Charm the Greyhound, are extremely, extremely uh, accepting of Foster's. They, you know, poor charm. I'm like, there's nothing that he owns that's like his. Every, uh, you know, I just bought him an alligator the other day and I keep hiding it from the foster because every toy, you know, she's had her mouth on, or, (laughs) you know, I try to keep their crate sacred. So I don't let her go into his crate. Uh, When I was less experienced, I I would let other dogs kind of meander in and out, but I realized that's his area, you know. but uh he he's very gracious and then finn i mean finn just takes them under his wing and he starts playing with them and You know, he really uh, gets involved. I would say typically he tends to form a closer relationship to the fosters than Charm does. Oh, interesting. Um, But I also tend to foster smaller dogs. So I feel like maybe the size difference, sometimes uh, they may feel a little intimidated by Charm. Um, Whereas the cat, Finnegan, is more their size. So they can uh, maybe relate or feel a little bit more comfortable.
1: Oh, I feel like I should say that when we fostered, it was not through any sort of organization. It was just sort of a, this dog sort of ended up on our doorstep. And so it was nobody's fault except our own that it went sideways.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm fostering for a group called Hedgesville Hounds now. It's a new group uh, to me, but they have really uh, welcomed me with open arms. And uh, they provide a lot of experience, a wealth of knowledge uh, they work only with positive, force-free, uh, relationship-based trainers like Pat Miller. Uh, so I uh, have, I think, when you're going to foster, you know, do your homework. Think about finding a group that is going to be able to provide you the support that you need as a foster parent. Um, whether that be uh, just someone to call when you're struggling with an issue, or even if your, you know, animal needs more formal training, uh, you know, many of our rescue animals come with difficult experiences. So once they get into our homes, things can kind of creep out like food resource guarding and, uh, you know, barrier frustration and things like that. So I think, uh, Working with a a good, strong organization is really, really important, and I've been blessed to have that uh, with both experiences uh, that I have had with both ARF and Hedgesville Hounds. So I think doing it alone... it's kind (laughs) of
1: (laughs) crazy we were trying to be good samaritans you know it it was a whole thing
0: (laughs) oh i know and i think that's what many people do is like you want to help and you want to help and so for me i have to think about like what are my boundaries how can i help within my own capacity you know so uh i tend to take jogs that follow a similar pattern that I've been successful with (laughs) so small adult uh female so the thought of like if you were to give me a big uh I don't know great dane tomorrow that's a puppy you know that would probably be something that I would be like ah (laughs) so uh I would probably still do it because (laughs) Once I commit to something, I'm 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 there. But
1: <laughs> so in the past, how involved are you in like meeting the new adoptive family? Are you there or is it better for you to not be a part of that process? I definitely think the foster parent should be
0: highly involved in that process because you're the one that's getting to know that animal better than anyone else. Both groups I've worked with, that is the process, is that as the foster parent, you're largely involved. They um, may have you look at the applications, and even before they go through the process of approving that applicant, they may say, well, what do you think about this applicant? Does this look like a good fit? Or, here's, we've gotten five applicants this week. Which of these do you think might be the best fit? And we'll go ahead and start processing those. And then doing the meet and greet with them. I think, you know, one short meet and greet is is really a quick time for a family to try to decide and for you as the foster parent to be like, okay, is the dog comfortable or are the people comfortable? So I prefer two meetings, um, even if the second one is just okay, we know this is going through and we're going to get the dog settled and comfortable. But yeah, I like to be largely, largely involved because I that that animal has become my child. You know, I don't have human children. So each foster child, each foster dog of mine, I, I think of them like, you know, they're a part of my family. So I want to make sure... Uh, someone told me once you find a home that can offer more than you can offer and that's how you know you can let them go whether you know for my my current foster she may want to be an only dog she is very extroverted and sassy and she wants to be the center of attention so better for her might mean she doesn't have a greyhound who's the center of attention in the home it's different for every dog
1: yeah I was gonna ask you know I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, I don't know if I could ever foster because it would be so hard to let them go. Um, and I was just curious your take on that. Yeah, it is hard. I
0: mean, I've cried. I um, had a foster recently that was with me for five months and it was one of the most heartbreaking experiences of my life was Was her leaving uh, because she had become such a part of my family and I I wanted so much to to be there and support her you know but what I try to do is as each one comes in I I think of them as I think of my students so I'm here as a bridge I'm here to help you I'm not a permanent fixture you know so I'm the bridge between your old life and your new life or for a student I'm here for this period of time to support you and help you grow but you know ultimately it's like a bridge, right? I'm taking you to this other place, this other grade or this other transition in your life or for a foster dog to your final home. So I'm preparing you um, and I'm showing you the love and kindness and helping you to see what a family is like and what is it like to have expectations in a home. Um, Though I'm I'm pretty limited. I am not a strict, you know, you must (laughs) sit, (laughs) you you must do this. You know, I i'm not big on um i guess commands i'm i'm more about cues and relationship and uh so you know the dogs eat in their own crates things like that i don't want to ever put them in a situation that uh would be uncomfortable for them i think of my home as like a safe space
1: that is so beautiful. You are just doing amazing work in the world. And I'm so glad to know you. And I'm so thankful. I always like to thank. I'm so thankful to the dogs that have brought us together, you know, because our lives probably wouldn't have intersected if it wasn't for these dogs that we love and these things that we do because of the dogs. And so I'm very grateful for that.
0: (laughs) I, uh, as well, you know, I, uh, I found such a beautiful community in this city with people who are involved in animal welfare. And I just feel beyond fortunate to know so many people that are such strong advocates and so knowledgeable too. Um, you know, we're not just talking about people who love animals. We were talking about people in this city who live and breathe and, and do so much for not just their own animals, but others animals. Um, and it's, it's humbling. It's very humbling to, uh, be around people like you and people like Pauline and, Just so many, so many individuals that are, uh, you know, Caitlin, uh, I can't even begin to name all of the individuals over time that have taught me things that I've learned from that uh, I've partnered
1: with. The same, the uh, same here. Yeah, there's so many, yeah, so many amazing people. And that's part of why, you know, I wanted to start a podcast is like, everybody needs to know about these amazing people. Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) You know you don't know how much work goes into rescuing animals either like how many people behind the scenes you right. know are involved uh, so i know people are frustrated during covid and trying to adopt dogs and feel like they're hitting brick walls but we have to remember that most people are doing this as a volunteer capacity they're doing this as a service to the community to the animals to the families.
1: 100% <laughs> out of the goodness of their hearts I mean right. Right. You know, they, they're under no obligation yeah
0: yeah so I have to remind myself I remember I got annoyed uh way back trying to adopt a greyhound and thinking I had to oh my gosh they want me to read a book I've already read this book I own this book like and I was so full of myself and then I had to stop and think wait a second Jen they don't know you from you know anyone they're giving you books and resources that they want you to read to prepare you um, they're doing you know their responsibilities (laughs) that is what they need to do because pet ownership is a big a big thing and and we need to take it seriously and make sure that we're prepared for it as
1: adopters (laughs) and so as if all the other things that we've mentioned today aren't enough that you're doing. I know that charm is a greyhound and your previous dog was a greyhound and but I know you even do things to help bring the greyhound and sighthound community together in Baltimore, is that right?
0: Yeah, you know, so a few years ago, I realized that I was doing so much with my foster animals and rescue, but I was kind of leaving charm out of the fun. So I started a social group on Facebook, and we grew from just about five greyhound owners in Hamden, uh, a neighborhood in Baltimore, to now well over 100 uh, people uh, from all over the Baltimore area and surrounding counties. Um, So we just get together for fun. We do walks and events, uh, and we'd love to have more people join us. So the group is Charm City Sight Hound Social, and you can find us on Facebook.
1: I'll make sure to have links in the show notes to that also.
0: Thank you. We'd love to have more people come. It's always Exciting to have a new greyhound join the mix, and even in the last few years, the group members have transitioned a lot as people have moved, and new uh, owners have adopted more
1: greyhounds. So, are there other dogs that are included in the sighthound? <laughs> yes, good point. We have a
0: couple. We have a Galgo. Um, we have a couple other that have joined the group but haven't come to meetings but we're definitely welcome to all sighthounds to join us.
1: That's really cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. They seem to really like seeing uh, others from their same uh, breed group. And, you know, greyhounds are always together growing up at the racetrack, at the farm, at the racetrack. So um, sometimes once they're adopted, they don't see other greyhounds very much. So this gives them a chance to get to know each other, and actually through one of these events, Charm uh, we became reunited with his litter mate. So Frankie and Charm now are best buds, and we didn't even know that they knew each other until we uh, watched their interaction together and started joking about how they looked alike, and it turns out we realized by talking about their birth dates and looking at their ear tattoos that they're litter mates.
1: Oh wow! So I assume, obviously, they get ear tattoos from being at the racetrack. Are those like a number, or what? Do, what does that look like?
0: Yeah, there's a litter number in one ear, and then the other ear has their, I believe, month and year of
1: birth. Oh wow! So they ended up having like the same.
0: Yeah. And you also can follow their lineage on, uh, there's different websites that you can follow and see. Um, and so the, uh, Frankie's owner knew what, uh, the original names of all the litter mates were. So when I said his original name was Nor'easter, she says, Oh my goodness, that's Frankie's, uh, that's, that's his brother or her brother. So yeah, it was really cool. That is really cool. Charm is completely asleep in Penny's bed, and Penny is on the floor. Oh, my gosh. We'll have to take a picture of Charm. I do. Take a picture. Oh, my gosh. Charm. He is a mess. I did bring his buttons and things, but I don't know that he even wants to perform right now. Charm, did you want to perform? No. I'm taking a nap here in Penny's bed. (laughs) it's very comfortable (laughs) and then here's poor
1: penny oh
0: my gosh
1: well Jed, thank you so much for your time today (laughs)
0: oh thank you this was great i was a little nervous i you know talking about yourself is kind of hard but i was very grateful that you asked me to come and uh that you wanted to hear my story
1: I've said before that Baltimore, despite its many flaws, which we hear about on the news all the time, it has an amazing animal welfare community. And when we've seen incidents of animal abuse over the years, we've been able to turn them into positive actions with things like Project Mickey. In fact, with Be More Dog, the organization that I volunteer with, we had been asked many years ago to speak at the St. Francis Neighborhood Center in the wake of the Michael Vick situation being in the news because they wanted the children to learn more and to have positive interactions with pit bulls. And I spoke with Jen in the interview about how we were once contacted by a school in Baltimore that had had a dog fighting bust right across the street from the school. Over the years with Be More Dog, we've gone into various schools and after school programs and things like the Girl Scouts to talk about the needs of pets and drawing the correlation between pets and people. And we also talk about things like safe greetings, and I just love seeing the kids' faces light up. There's something so special about that moment when you can just see the light go on in their eyes and they just get so excited, and I just always hope that we're teaching them a lasting lesson. I've heard about this term before, ACE, Adverse Childhood Experiences, and there was a lot of data and studies done in the 1990s about the connection between things like childhood abuse and neglect and household challenges and the effect that it can have on you later in life in both your health and well-being. I'm going to have some links about this in the show notes for you today. There was a study and these surveys done and what they found was that physical, emotional and sexual abuse, physical and emotional neglect and household dysfunction, which gets defined as things like mental illness in the home, substance abuse, divorce, a child witnessing violence, such as spousal abuse, or having an incarcerated relative. And then there's been later studies which actually look at community level adversity, which expands on the original adverse childhood events and includes things like witnessing violence. Like, did you ever see someone being beaten up or stabbed and shot in your life? Have you ever felt discrimination when you were growing up because of your race or ethnicity? Did you experience adverse neighborhood experiences? Did you feel safe? Did people stand up for each other and could people be trusted? And then there's bullying by peers or by classmates. And then there's the living in foster care. And so what all of these adverse childhood experiences show is that the more of these that a child experiences when they're growing up, the more likely as an adult that they're going to have things like depression, anxiety, suicide, PTSD, unintended pregnancies, pregnancy complications, HIV or other STDs, they're more likely to develop cancer or diabetes, more likely to have alcohol and drug abuse. And so I think about how this must relate to the students that Jen is seeing, and just how special it must be for them to have the opportunity to have positive experiences with charm or the other animals that are brought into the programs. And there actually is a lot of data and scientific research that's been done about animal assisted therapy. We hear about it in instances of trauma with military or first responder or inmates. And we hear studies about how animals reduce PTSD and symptoms of depression and anxiety. And there's just so much power in the bonding and the healing and the judgment-free interactions of pets. I've even read about people who have problem accepting physical touch because to them, physical touch associates with trauma, but yet animals can help them with their need for physical contact without the complications that could accompany contact by other people. And this is why I think the work that Jen is doing is so important, and that these programs that connect children with animals are so important, and I wish that we had them in all of our schools, not just in Baltimore, but beyond. I'm so thankful to Jen for sharing her experiences with us, and I'm so glad that there are people like her doing this work in the world. Not only is it helping the children of today, hopefully it's creating a better tomorrow for all of us. Jen was kind enough to share with us photos of her working with the students, so there's lots of pictures of her and Charm and their students. There's even some showing how they connected over Zoom during COVID. I'll also have a link in the show notes to Jen's TikTok page, Charm and Friends. I'm probably like the last person on earth to get on TikTok, but I will to share this with you. And that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. As always, you can find me on Facebook at Believe in Dog podcast and on Instagram at Believe in Dog podcast with underscores. And if you're on Clubhouse, you can find me at Believe in Dog pod. If you like this episode, I always appreciate you sharing with a dog loving friend. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please leave your five star rating and review. There'll be a link in the show notes that'll take you right to Apple podcasts to do this. Your ratings and reviews really do help more people find the show. Until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly robes. Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.